0: Well, if you have a Bible with you, then please turn to the first chapter of John's Gospel and follow with me as we give careful thought to possibly the profoundest passage that we find in the whole of the Bible. The Bible is filled with dramatic statements Perhaps the most familiar of the Bible's dramatic statements is found in the opening words of the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What drama, what majesty you find in those few brief words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. They're they're stunning in their simplicity. Each one of the words is simple, not complex. Each of the words is easy to parse, if you know what parsing is. It's a glorious statement. And, And the Bible is punctuated with dramatic statements. But there is one dramatic statement that towers above every other of the Bible's dramatic statements. And it's found in the first five words of verse 14 of John chapter 1. And the word became flesh. John has been speaking about this word who was with God in the beginning and who was God. He doesn't actually tell us till verse 17 that this word is Jesus. But that's what he's building up to and there's a reason why he only gets to Jesus in verse 17. But he is telling us that this this word that was in the beginning, that was with God, literally face to face with God, and who himself was God, became flesh. The uncontainable became contained. The eternal one became temporal. God became man. In the womb of a virgin. In a little tiny piece of real estate in the Near East. And that's what I want us to be thinking about tonight. Just those five words. And the word became flesh. Because in those five words. The gospel. The saving gospel of God. Is placarded to us. Notice first of all. Four four things I want to consider with you. Very simply and very briefly. Notice first of all. The wonder that is revealed in the incarnation. Now, the word incarnation just means it's a Latinized English word. It simply means the becoming in flesh, the wonder that is revealed in the incarnation. Now, if you have a new international version with you, it omits a significant word. Because verse 14 begins with the simple word and. Now the NIV doesn't have the word and. Why it doesn't translate it? kai again at all. And the word became flesh. I've never understood. I'm not a linguist. Um, I'm very reluctant to criticize translations but I never can get my head around because the little word and is so profoundly significant. You know, we're told in 2 Timothy 3 that all Scripture is God-breathed. Every word has been superintended by God the Holy Spirit. Every single word, every jot, every tittle, our Lord Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17. And the word and is there for a significant reason. Do you see the reason? For 13 verses... John has been speaking about this word. This word who was from the beginning. Who was with God. Who was God. Who created all things. Who was the light of the world. And now John says this. Now take this in he's saying. Because you will hardly believe it possible. And, and. This word became Flesh took humanity to himself, made himself what he had never been before. He joined the frailty of our flesh to himself. This is the astounding wonder of the incarnation, that there was something in the stable bigger than the whole world, that God, from everlasting to everlasting, that God became what he had never been. That is, God the Son became what he had never been. You might say, well, how, how is that possible? <clears throat> I do not know. The Bible is very, very careful in the way It speaks about the incarnation, whether in Matthew's account, Luke's account, or here in John. It's very decorous. When when Mary says to the angel, "Uh, what do you mean I'm, I'm going to give birth to a son? I'm a virgin. And all that she hears is this, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. No one goes into the physics or the physiology or the biology of the incarnation, because that would be futile. The how question is never addressed. The fact is placarded. Behold, your God. That's the theme that runs through the whole Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. Genesis one one to Revelation twenty two twenty two. Behold your God. On every page, behold your God. And here, climactically, behold your God. That's why the incarnation summons us, Mm -hmm. compels us, woos us to bow down and worship. I often think this time of year of those three mysterious strangers who come from the east they suddenly appear out of nowhere they're following a star what (coughs) star is this his star well what what does that mean and how did they know about a messiah a, a king perhaps they were from Babylon we don't know maybe Daniel's prophecies had been preserved and they were amongst the, the magi at the court, the astronomers and the astrologers, and someone maybe said, but, you know, five centuries ago, wasn't there a man called Daniel? And didn't he? We don't know. But the remarkable thing, and I often think about this, is that they come, and what do they do? They bow down and worship. They must have... Had their heads filled with questions. But they bowed down and worshipped. Our God contracted to a span. Incomprehensibly made man. As Charles Wesley wrote in one of his hymns. The wonder of the incarnation God. The everlasting God the Son. has become what we are. But then secondly, notice the scandal provoked by the incarnation and the word became flesh. Now you'll have to take my word for this, although maybe you're a very well-schooled congregation. In the first century, John is writing against a background of Greek philosophy where the idea that the eternal would have any contact with the temporal was considered bizarre. Flesh, the material world, the body was what you wanted to escape from. The great philosophies of the ancient world were all about the ethereal, the escaping the temporal, shedding this... This, um, this flesh and escaping into the bright blue yonder. And yet here comes John with the gospel and says, the everlasting God has become flesh. It would have astonished the ancient world and scandalized it. What kind of a God is this you're preaching? What kind of a savior is this? We want to escape from the flesh. And you're telling us he became flesh. The gospel confronts the world with truth, it confronts its lies, its errors. Because you see, the material is what God made. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And remember the last words of verse 31 in Genesis 1? God saw all that he had made. It was very good. Very good. God created all things. They didn't simply happen. They didn't simply come to be. God, mindfully, purposefully, Spoke the cosmos into being and here is the gospel coming into the very soil of the material world and anchoring its life in the materiality of humanity. And that scandalous note of course is carried all the way through Jesus' life if we had time we could see that. And then climaxes in the cross. Because what is the great proclamation of the Christian hope? It's not that a baby was born, but that a life was crucified. And that was a scandal to the ancient world, to the Jews and to the Greeks, to the Jews, the very thought. Of a cross, cursed be everyone who hangs on a tree, Deuteronomy 18. And for the Greek world, a savior on a cross. What kind of a savior is that? What kind of a savior is that? Bloodied, broken, spit dripping down his face. We preach Christ and him crucified. Because there God was reconciling the world to himself. There God was making atonement for the sin of all who would ever believe in his son. That's why Paul would write to the Galatians. May I never boast except in the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ. And that scandalized the ancient world. And the incarnation was the beginning of that scandal. And so it is to the present day. The Christian faith, the Christian hope scandalizes the ancient world. What have you got to offer me? A crucified Savior, now risen and ascended. Is that what you've got to offer me? That's all I've got to offer you. But that crucified Savior was the sin bearer who made atonement for sin. And through faith in him, you can be reconciled to God. And have a living and an everlasting hope. so we see something of the wonder revealed in the incarnation and then secondly the scandal provoked by the incarnation but then thirdly the salvation that rests on the incarnation and the word became flesh now you're thinking well but didn't you just tell us that that was a scandal yes it was But the whole plan of salvation rested on that one word, flesh. God could not save sinners by remote control. He is holy, he is just, he is righteous. Sin had to be righteously dealt with. God's justice and holiness and goodness and love and mercy had to be satisfied. Who's going to do that? You going to do that? Am I going to do that? Not the holiest and the best of us could do that. But God found a way. Oh loving, do you know these words of John Henry Newman? O oh, loving wisdom of our God. When all was sin and shame, a second Adam to the fight and to the rescue came. Our great need was for someone just like us, to represent us before God, to stand before God in our place, to be grand enough to do that. And in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. Around about the year 1100, the last best Archbishop of Canterbury wrote a remarkable work. It's the first theological treatise, really, on the atonement. And he entitled it, Why Did God Become Man? Cur Deus Homo. Why the God-man? And he explained there what the Bible itself explains. That we needed someone to stand before God in our place. And God sent His own Son. He spared Him not, but delivered Him up for us all. The incarnation is not what saves sinners, but without the incarnation, no sinner could be saved. That's why, John Owen, and some of you have heard me preach here a number of times. It's possible I can preach a sermon without quoting John Owen. It's possible, but maybe not. He wrote this glorious, if you ever want to read a Puritan, read volume one of John Owen on the glory of Christ. And once you go over the long, complex, Latinate sentences, you'll just be swept along. Listen to what Owen writes about the Incarnation. The incarnation is the glory of our religion, the glory of the church, the sole rock on which it is built, the only spring of present grace and future glory. I've memorized those words. I've read them and read them and I think they're magnificent. Now maybe you're thinking, but Ian, isn't that the cross? Well, if you'd said to John Owen, Dr. Owen, I hear what you're saying, but isn't the cross the glory of our religion? Isn't the cross our present hope and future glory? Isn't that the centerpiece? If I could speak for Dr. Owen, he would smile and say, let me ask you one question. On what does the glory of Calvary rest? What gives Calvary its luster? What gives the cross its glory? Who it was who was there? The God man. Everything rests on. The becoming in flesh of God the Son. The cross rests the weight of all its glory on the foundation of the incarnation. You see, the cradle, if I can put it this way, the cradle is a necessary stepping stone to the cross. Without the cross, the, the, the incarnation would say to us, as I said last week, the incarnation would say, God is with you. But I don't want to know simply that. I want to know, thank you for telling me God is with me, but please tell me this, is God for me? Is he for me? Bethlehem points us to Calvary and says, in Christ crucified and risen, he is for you. Emmanuel is a great truth to think about, not just at Christmas. But as I said last week, we need more than Emmanuel. We need Eloheinu, our God, and even better. We need Eli, my God. The Christian faith is about personal, personal pronouns. The son of God loved me and gave himself for me. But then fourthly, just very briefly, the unending comfort guaranteed by the incarnation and the word, notice the verb, the word became flesh that verb is wonderful. Hope you know what a verb is. He didn't take our humanity for a season. He didn't take it like you put on a coat for a season and then take it off. He became flesh. He identified with us in our humanity. Him sinapar. And uh, that humanity has not been divested in heaven. He became flesh. I simply want to say that for this reason. That in Jesus Christ we have a saviour who understands the frailty and the fragility and the weakness of our humanity. Not by observation, but by experience. And that doesn't end in heaven. There is glorified humanity on the throne of heaven. He will always be the God man on the throne. He will always be solicitous towards his people. He is able in his heavenly enthroned glory to help us in our struggles as the writer to the Hebrews puts it we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin you know what temptation is No, you don't. Not one of you, not one of you, myself included, not one of us knows what temptation is. We know it in a little bit. He knew it to the full extent of its fury. And he never once, in mind, in heart, in will, succumbed. He understands the frailty of our frame. And so the writer says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. There is grace to help us in our time of need because he became flesh. So I want to leave you with a question. Simple question. I always ask simple questions. I give complex answers, but I ask simple questions. Here's the question Have you ever bowed down and worshipped Him? Poorly, maybe, falteringly, but truly. And said with Thomas, My Lord and my God. It's all about personal pronouns. My Lord and my God. sometimes wonder if the angels in heaven. I'll finish with this. If the angels in heaven said to God the Son, when he covenanted with the Father and the Spirit to come and be the saviour of the world, if they ever said to him, but do you know what that will mean for you? And I've sometimes wondered what he might have said back. Perhaps with a smile. But it's for the It's for them. But make sure you're able to say, it was for me.